0: I'm Eileen Dunn, and this is the God Slot. I have faith. Mm, I Back in the 1960s, a novel called The Case Against Satan by the American Ray Russell featured a priest's housekeeper, Irish of course, who while preparing for the impending visit of a bishop noted that priests were queer fish and bishops, being priests magnified as it were, were even queerer fish still. We're leaving all fish, red herrings and all aside. We checked our dictionaries for collective nouns and can say that this evening we have a psalter of bishops for you. We're joined by two Roman Catholic bishops, the Auxiliary Bishop of Down and Connor, Donald McKeown, and Bishop Emeritus of Killaloo, Willie Walsh. While from the Church of Ireland we have the Bishop of Toom, Killala, and a Conry, Patrick Rook. And when I was told we were going to be interviewing bishops, I of course assumed that I'd be the only woman in the studio. But the Lord moves in mysterious ways and we have a very distinguished visitor with us. She's just been elected as an Anglican bishop in South Africa, Bishop Elina Wamukoya of Swaziland. She was speaking on Wednesday night at St. Mickens Church in Dublin and you're particularly welcome to the studio. Indeed you all are. Now we have a selection of questions, some we've drawn up ourselves, some we invited listeners to submit and we've conflated those to try and get a general sense of what people wanted to ask you all. First of all though, what is a bishop and what do you do as a bishop? Donald, I might start with you. Um,
1: I suppose I was a school principal before I became a bishop and um, in terms of managing the school I worked on the philosophy that the work was done on the ground and the job of leadership was to facilitate, coordinate, incentivize, praise and so on those who were doing the work in the classrooms and I suppose moving to my new role um, as an auxiliary bishop in down on Connor 12 years ago, I still work on the assumption that the people of God is about relationships and the task of leadership in, in in the people of God is to build sustainable faith communities in local areas. Uh, and all of my work, whatever it is, meetings, coordinations, talking to people, solving problems, is all about trying to ensure that those communities of faith can find new ways of growing and thriving in 2013 and beyond. So it's very much based on relationships, trying to find how the gospel applies to local um, situations, but trying to be a pastor rather than a manager.
0: You were born in Belfast and are still working in the north. Patrick, you spent over 30 years working in the north and now they've shifted you west. I gather you do have some family ties there though.
2: Uh, yes my mother's family would come from the west of Ireland I myself was brought up here in Dublin and I um, trained in England and then uh, I came back to the Church of Ireland and was ordained for a parish in North Belfast and I really intended to do a three-year curacy there there and probably come back to the Dublin area where my father was a rector at the time um, but I um, married my rector's daughter and the <laughs> boss's daughter as it were and um ended up remaining in Northern Ireland for 33 years. It was always a regret that I didn't minister in the Republic of Ireland and thought really the chance had gone. But 20 months ago, I was appointed as bishop in Tuam, Killala and And uh, I've been enjoying uh, life in the West for the past 20 months.
0: Now, we're describing you and Alina as baby bishops. So has your life changed much since you became a bishop? Apart from
2: the physical move from well, the north, it has to changed the west. dramatically in, in that we're in a different part of the world, a, a part that uh, I've never lived in, although I, I knew the West quite well. Um, but the role of the bishop is quite different. I, I was Dean in Armagh, so I was very much uh, for five years based around the cathedral there and running at uh, an historic building. And um, before that, I, I was in busy parishes in County Antrim and in County Armagh. But the role of a bishop is, is much broader and wider. Um, as Donald says, we provide leadership. The Church of Ireland is an Anglican uh, church, and it, it, the Anglican church is an Episcopal church. We have bishops, priests, and deacons, the threefold ministry, as do the Roman Catholic Church and um really as a bishop i provide leadership leadership uh, first of all in terms of being the pastor to the clergy pastor pastorum as as we as we talk about um but I, I, I lead also by, by supporting and encouraging them, by supporting and encouraging parishes and parishioners. Uh, I give leadership in terms of my liturgical role. A bishop can ordain and confirm in our tradition, which uh, uh, priests cannot do. Um, I give leadership in terms of representing the Church of Ireland at uh, community events. Um, uh, leadership in terms of discipline, Uh, leadership in terms of being a patron of schools, uh, leadership in terms of administration in the diocese. And also the bishops come together quite a lot um, at central level to provide leadership um, for, for the whole church, because we talk about a bishop as being a bishop for a diocese, but also for the wider church.
0: Alina, let's come to you. You were the first woman to be elected bishop in South Africa.
3: What difference has it made to your life? Uh, the the difference in my life has been phenomenal, you know because it indeed it is a bishop in southern Africa and in particular Swaziland. but uh, then I've had a lot of attention from even beyond those borders you know from uh, even in England and and other parts of the world and uh, today I'm here in um, in Ireland. So for me, that has been uh, overwhelming. Sometimes I just want to remain and be myself and just do the work that God has sent me to do. But uh, I'm, I'm getting used to it, and I hope God will help me to handle that so that I don't lose focus on the work uh, that I am expected uh, to do. But at the same time, it's a bit challenging because you feel like... Uh, You know, uh, there is a lot of expectation uh, on you as a woman. And yet, I'm just a child of God like any other person. And that's how I feel. First of all, I feel like a child of God and a person called by God to do work. And then lastly, maybe a woman. Bishop Willy,
0: you're out the other end, shall we say. (laughs) You were a bishop for many years and now you're... You're retired. I'm sure you're still quite busy, but officially you're retired. So how has that changed life for
4: you? Well, certainly retirement has made a major difference in the sense that uh, I suppose there's a great sense of freedom uh, about it. Uh, the, being a bishop uh, is a stressful and certainly uh, I found it a stressful uh, task uh, over 16 years. And it's a great sense of freedom. I'm now doing... Lots of different things. I'm doing a fair bit of retreat work, uh, and uh, doing a small bit of writing. And then you found interest in gardening, and uh, and um, I. Uh, so life is 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 lovely at the moment. I'm lucky enough that I enjoy very good health. Uh, I don't uh, actually uh, haven't any official position, but uh, I'm always available to help out when priests are ill or on holidays or that sort of thing. So I'm keeping in touch. But the lovely thing about it is the sense of freedom, and uh, you know, no longer uh, the some of the heavy responsibilities which a bishop's life, bishop's life involves. So from that uh, from that point of view, I'm certainly enjoying uh, being a retired bishop. The
0: difference in the appointment of bishops in the Roman Catholic Church, you're appointed, whereas in the Anglican Church, you're elected. Uh, Bishop Woolley, were you surprised when you got the call?
4: I suppose one if one was very modest, one would say that one was flabbergasted. Uh, I, suppo- I, I wasn't that surprised, actually, uh, in the sense that a lot of pr- my colleague priests would have been saying to me, uh, that well, that uh, it was quite a possibility that I might become bishop of the diocese, uh, you know. So I wasn't uh, that very surprised. I mean, I certainly was was quite a, uh, nervous uh, uh, when I was asked uh, to do it. Uh, I certainly, um, you know, but I felt it also a privilege, a real privilege, to to be asked to lead uh, the Christian. Uh, family of the diocese really. Uh, I certainly saw that as a privilege uh, but it certainly was a total new way of life. I mean my my experience had been limited enough. I spent 25 years teaching in a post-primary school and then I spent uh, seven years as a curate at the local cathedral. Um, so I mean it was certainly very new territory uh, and I was appointed coadjutor. In other words, I was to succeed bishop my predecessor Bishop Harty when he retired. But actually he died quite suddenly, so so I, before even when I was ordained bishop, so I was thrown in at the deep end. But I found over you know, uh, great support from the clergy and the people of the diocese over the years, over, you know, difficult years they were, certainly difficult years for church and so on. But overall I found it a a uh, very enriching, really, a humbling and enriching experience. Donald, what was your experience? You,
0: I gather you were a newscaster at one point with Vatican Radio.
4: Well, over the years, I ended
1: up doing good bits of journalism. I was a Belfast correspondent for two years for a German news agency in the early 70s, um, after I'd spent a year teaching in English English in, in Germany. And then when I was um, in Rome as a student for five years, I, I, I did translate it and read Vatican Radio News on Sundays. And then I've done a lot of work in the north with, with BBC and, um, and and UTV and Radio 4, and all that sort of thing. So you just sort of end up dropping into these things. And I, I'm quite happy with the privilege you have from being on the on, on, on the public media. Um, and I suppose the best advice I got when I became a bishop um, And I think I wasn't even expecting there would be an auxiliary appointed in down on Connor 12 years ago. So I was surprised that anyone was appointed, not just myself. The best advice I got was, if the Holy Spirit picked you for the person that you are, be sure when he comes back, he can still recognise you. (laughs) (laughs) And and that was a wonderfully liberating piece of advice from from, from a fellow bishop, that you haven't got to be a bishop. You have a, a task to do, a job to do, a new way of being a disciple of the Lord, a new way of serving the people of God. But you do it as yourself Mm -hmm. Um, Uh and particularly being an auxiliary rather than with full responsibility for the diocese. I'm like a vice principal in the school. There's always somebody else you can pass things Uh up the line Uh to. And Uh I, I, I felt very privileged to be in the position I'm in at present. In terms of the opportunities it gives me to to speak of the gospel, to try and build up the people of God, to work on relationships, to be accessible as a human being, I do all my shopping and uh, running the Belfast Marathon every year. And I think meeting people, being accessible, and being yourself, not promoting myself. But being myself and allowing us to walk as, as a fellow disciple with other people, following the way of the Lord, wherever he's leading us, I have no idea. And I don't have to worry about that. But let the Lord be, be, be our guide and be the person that I am as a, as a fellow disciple. Uh, I mean, I'm a bishop for people, but I'm a Christian with people, as Augustine said.
0: We'll come back to the promoting in a second, but I want to ask the other two bishops. You were both elected. Do you have to put yourself forward
2: for election? Um, no. Uh, not in, not in the Church of Ireland. Um, can I just p- pick up first of all, Eileen on, on your point. One of my colleagues said to me when I was appointed, uh, "Just be yourself, Patrick. You know that's mm-hmm. that's what people respect you for." and I've always remembered that we talk about uh, when hands are laid on a new bishop taking the spine out of of the person and actually that shouldn't be the case you should be yourself and I've I've sort of determined that I will be myself faults and all Um, but I can't, you know I'm not going to pretend to be something different than I am and um, Eileen, uh, it, we, we have a system in the Church of Ireland where we are elected by what's known as an electoral college. But what happens at that is there are representatives from the vacant diocese, ordained and lay. And then there are uh, representatives from the, the province, either Dublin or Armagh. Um, and there are uh, four bishops, one of which is an archbishop uh, at that electoral college. So it's a body of about 60 uh, people. Uh, half ordained and half lay and they consider names, names usually of people who have been approached and asked if they are interested in, in, in having their names put forward and if they are put forward they are proposed and seconded and then eventually after discussion has taken place then there is a vote and you have to get two-thirds uh, majority of those present um, t- two-thirds of lay and two-thirds of, of ordained to, 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 um, to, to be appointed Um, So I suppose if your your name is being put forward at, at an electoral college, you will have been approached and asked if you are interested or willing to allow your name to go forward. In my own case, it was slightly different because they held an electoral college for Tuam, Killala and O'Connery and didn't appoint, just as they didn't this week for Meath and Kildare. And um, so the, the appointment lapses then to the House of Bishops. We have 12 bishops in the Church of Ireland and the bishops make an appointment. So I, I was one of those who was appointed by uh, the bishops and um, obviously the remaining 11 bishops. And um, so I simply got a phone call out of the blue from the Archbishop of Armagh to say that my name ha- had been proposed and uh, accepted as the new Bishop of Tuam, Killala and O'Connery was I willing to accept. So I, I had to decide there and then. I suppose I had an inkling that it, it, it might possibly happen, but it, uh, uh, no more than that. Mm-hmm. And Alina, you, I gather, were a town clerk at the time.
3: Um, I had been working as the town clerk of the municipality of Manzini and at the same time being a self-supporting priest and a chaplain at the University of uh, uh, Swaziland. But uh, when um, the elective uh, assembly uh, took place, I had just retired as a a town clerk. Mm -hmm. But just like uh, my colleague here says... um, I was approached by several people, you know, if I was willing to stand um, uh, uh, for the position of a bishop in Swaziland, and uh, of course it was the most bizarre thing for me, because um, first of all, I wasn't um, an old priest, I mean, I I, I joined the priesthood at at an advanced age, so I never thought never ever thought of uh, being a bishop but I think I was approached by almost four people all saying the same things and telling me uh, the different ways in which God had um, you know told them that um, I was likely to be the next bishop and then eventually I succumbed and agreed that my name be put forward for the, the, for the position of a bishop in the diocese. Um, um, of course, even in our uh, diocese, it's the same. I think the Anglican Church is the same all over two thirds majority from the House of Clergy and the House of uh, Laity. And the interesting thing is that uh, um, we, of the 12 rounds, voting rounds, uh, the laity were clear whom they wanted as a bishop, you know. Uh, I think on the third round, I made the two-thirds majority in the House of Laity. But then (laughs) it was not so easy in the House of uh, Clergy. And had that anything to do with the fact that you were a woman? Well, I am not very sure (laughs) what the problem was. But uh, eventually on the 11th round, my colleague um, withdrew because at first we were five candidates. Um, The first three, they dropped off very early, so we remained the two. And then on the 11th round, my colleague said, well, I can see where the the hand of God is pointing. But that didn't mean that I was bishop now. We still had to vote. And then uh, it was on the 12th round that I I made the two-thirds in both uh, houses.
0: Well done you. You're all of course coming across as a very modest bunch here but Pope Francis has been talking lately about the vanity of careerist bishops. Are you conscious of that in, in your fellow clergy? As in any profession?
1: I, th- I think it's quite clear and I've been a school teacher for like we like, there for almost 25 years in every walk of life. People try to promote themselves. It's been in the ingrained in human nature since since the beginning of history, um, and I think we have to be conscious of the temptation. There are huge numbers of temptations coming at us from all sides, um, and I think we have to ensure that we are people of prayer, who constantly feel uncomfortable in front of the scriptures. Uh, allow the Lord to guide our steps. Allow the Lord to, to to calm our hearts or to to push us into uncomfortable places. Um, well, I think you, I, I need to get a grip round me. In other words, I, I, I go for obviously spiritual direction and, and, and confessions. would be um, I go for professional supervision once a month. Uh, and I've done a lot of work with my, my supervisor there, who's not a priest. Um, I have families that are good to me and take me from a tea and all that sort of thing. I, and I hope by surrounding myself with good human relationships and trying to be in touch with the Lord and with myself that I can resist some of those temptations. Um, But I think it's always going to be there, feeling put down or feeling unimportant or feeling better than somebody else. Pride and arrogance runs right through human nature, has done since Cain and Abel, um, maybe since Adam and Eve. So we have to be conscious of it and put a structure in place that enables us to be the human beings that the (laughs) Lord has called us to be and to be humble human beings in the service of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So I'm happy to be a, a very fallible pilgrim on the road and to allow <coughs> my fellow pilgrims to, to, to keep me um, the human being, to keep me the the brother, the, 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 the uncle, the cousin and so on that I am to so many people, keep me on the, on, on the human path and be a disciple of the Lord there.
0: Would others of you be conscious of fellows waiting to stab you in the back maybe?
4: No, I, I wouldn't. Quite honestly, um, you know, I take the point that Donald makes that there is always the the possibility of ambition for promotion or something like that. But, but I would say, in fairness, uh, in in Ireland, uh, I certainly have been haven't noticed anything much of that nature i think there is a difference in certain places for example in the american church and this is not in any way sliding sliding the american church but uh, there tends to be your appointed bishop you tend to move to, at least there's a lot of movement, to a maybe a bigger diocese or an archdiocese or that sort of thing. That <coughs> doesn't hold in Ireland from the point of view that the, that's traditionally in Ireland, if you're appointed bishop to one diocese, you remain in that diocese. Uh, you know, so there isn't any um, I certainly never had any ambition to be Archbishop of Dublin or something mm. like that uh, you take it for granted you remain in your own diocese uh, so from that point of view I'm not so sure I mean uh, I'm conscious of the fact that all of us have faults and all of us but I'm not so sure that the careerism would apply, I haven't been conscious of it anyway uh, in the Irish church as I knew it
3: um, Patrick.
2: My um, brother-in-law is an eminent professor and he talks a lot about tall poppy syndrome. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that as in any other profession, I think if you put your head above the parapet um, for whatever reason, or if you have been put there by the votes of others, uh, there's bound to be criticism, and and I would say that, that bishops are fair game for, for, for criticism, for, for blame. They're in the spotlight, and people are always going to to point their finger and find faults in them. And I think that that's part and parcel of what you take on in, in accepting the appointment. And uh, I suppose you just learn to, to grow a skin like an onion, really, and, and you just take the criticism, a bit like politicians. I was just but going you, to say that. <laughs> so, so it goes with the territory, and I... I, I um, I, I don't actually think the church is that different to, 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 to the secular world, uh, and nor should it be, actually. I, you know, we, 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 as Donald has said, we're talking about human beings, and wherever there are, are human beings, there will be jealousies and there will be pride and there will be arrogance and, uh, and all those things. Um, I suppose for myself I just I, I suppose I'm as, as surprised as anyone to find myself in this position and I don't say that just to, to, to sound humble, I, I really am I'm very aware of my my own inadequacies um, but I'm very aware of the privilege that has been uh, afforded to me and in spite of all my faults and failings other people and the good Lord seem to think that I have some abilities that that enables me to do this job and however inadequately I'm I'm attempting to do it, and, and, and I know that I couldn't do it without the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the support and encouragement of so many others.
0: Alina, what
3: about your experiences? I've just come into the game, <laughs> and um, you know what I keep on telling myself is that keep your eyes on the ball. <laughs> uh, listen to criticism, listen to what people say, and uh, make good use of that. You know, because you, you, you also learn from what people say, you know, to know what people like and what people do not like. Uh, but um, at, at the same time, uh, you know, I as a CEO and uh, uh, from a planning background, I've always said to myself, let me use those skills for the glory of, of God and uh, do not concentrate too much on, on what people say. And you see, I am trading new territory here and uh, being uh, who I am. And like people say, uh, the first woman bishop, people are looking up to you to say, what is she bringing that is different uh, from from the others, you know? Uh, So I try very hard not to get that to my head and then just focus on the work that God has asked me uh, to do. So, yeah, that's it for me. As you say, a lot of people, as the first woman bishop, a lot of
0: people are looking to you to see how it, how it's going to work out. If I can ask, Bishop Donal and Bishop Willie, do you think we'll ever see the day that we'll have Catholic women bishops?
1: I suppose what we all in church recognise this is a time of enormous change in all our churches and in, in this real time of crisis for Western society as well, with, with fragmentation and this multiculturalism the way forward or whatever. So I've no idea where the Lord is leading the church. But I think our big priority in the Catholic Church um, has to be, how do we get lay involvement between males and females? For, for, in other words, simply just changing the, 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 the leadership model isn't, isn't, the, isn't the big picture. I think we have to try and find ways of having the people of God theology. That was uh, essential in, in in Lumen Gentium, that document from the Second Vatican Council on the on the Constitution on the Church, to how we build the people of God with an enormous amount of, of lay participation. The Irish, the, the the Church of Ireland has clearly gone down that route. Um, I'm sure we can learn from our brothers and sisters in the Church of Ireland but I think first and foremost its lay participation is the big picture rather than just moving the deck chairs around and putting somebody else new in leadership. Um, And I think the other main thing that always strikes me about the Gospel, so many things that Jesus did were counter-cultural. His followers were odd. So uh, in some ways I'm always saying, how is Jesus saying in how we are church and how we offer leadership and how we serve people? How do we be different from from the culture round about us? I'm wrestling with all those (laughs) things and saying, Lord, it's your church, you guide us down your path. I'm not going to be concerned about just restructuring. I'm concerned to find where God is leading us in 2015.
0: Can you understand, though, how a lot of women would feel disenfranchised?
1: Of course I do. Oh, yes, of course I do. I mean, I... (laughs) I know enough people, I'm close to enough people to recognise all that and I think we have to wrestle with that reality to find out what's the Lord saying to us? How do we be a prophetic church? How do we be a servant church? How do we be a community church? How do we remain focused on searching for the truth uh, and allowing God and the spirit to model the church uh, rather than us to think, there'll be an idea, we'll do that and everything will be fine. So I, I'm happy to be led by the Lord through the desert to find our way to the promised land. That God, Because God's dream for us is so different from anything we dream for ourselves.
0: Patrick Donnell talks about learning lessons from the Church of Ireland. Do you think the, the, the greater involvement of women has made a difference?
2: um i think uh, absolutely um and for 22 years we've had, had uh, women priests and I, I don't see how we could prov- be providing ministry on the level that we're providing it at the moment without uh, their contribution which is absolutely vital and uh, some of our best clergy are, are female um When we passed the legislation 22 years ago to to have women priests, we also passed the legislation to have women bishops, but we haven't been brave enough yet (laughs) to actually appoint uh, a a woman bishop. And in many ways, that that saddens me, but uh, I suppose... um, it was always going to take um, some time to, uh, for for women priests to be recognised and, and be fully trained to to enable them to go on to become bishops. And we certainly have women in, in leading roles in, in our church as deans and as archdeacons, but not yet as bishops, and I, and I hope that that will come fairly soon.
0: Bishop Wully, I gather there would be nothing stopping the Catholic Church appointing a woman cardinal?
4: No, there wouldn't be any. Uh, There's no... Uh, Rule which would exclude that. Uh, I certainly feel that as a church that we have lost out and have been impoverished by the lack of uh, female presence uh, in areas of leadership in the church. Uh, And I certainly... I don't know where the Lord might be leading us, but uh, I've always found it uh, difficult um, to fully grasp or understand... The reasons we advance uh, for the non-participation of women in uh, ordained Uh, ministry—I don't know where uh, where the Lord will lead Uh, us—but certainly, it's a very, very uh, serious, deep, profound question, and it's a question which is not going to go away. Uh, But uh, you know how it may evolve in the future. I have no idea, but certainly, uh, you know, even just from personal experience, um, I know that you know that so many women have enriched my own life, uh, and very often, if I have a serious uh, issue to deal with, uh, I will consult a woman in preference to a man, in the sense that it brings a balance to uh, to looking at issues and so on. Uh, so, um, you know, I'd I'd. I'd love to see the day uh, that we uh, could see uh, that, you know, that the Lord was leading us in that direction.
0: Patrick, you mentioned politicians and one of the questions, a couple of the questions that people have been asking us about is the mix of politics and religion. Now, the Church of England in England, some of the bishops are members of the House of Lords. That doesn't apply in this country. How involved should the church be in politics and, and how have you been reacting to, say, Cardinal O'Malley in Boston, um, not attending the commencement ceremony with the Taoiseach?
2: Well, the Church of Ireland was disestablished many, many years ago um, and it's an independent church. So it's certainly, as you've said, not not uh, tied into into politics in a formal way at all. And I welcome that because I think the church should be free uh, to, to speak with its own mind. Um but having said that, I think that, I think it's very important that the that the church is involved in politics, in, in in that it's it's it follows what's going on and has something to say about what's going on from a moral and spiritual point of view. And, you know, I'm very aware in, in Irish society at the moment that there are a lot of ethical issues uh, to the fore, and it's important that the church uh, gives a lead in, in, in speaking its mind. Um, people not, may not like what it says or always, but it's but it's important that, that we, we, we do have a view that is, is heard um, and, and understood and certainly in the church of ireland we have spokespeople on on particular issues uh, as I, as i know they do in, in, in the catholic church and uh, you know we, we follow very carefully what's taking place in the doyle and elsewhere uh, and and have something to say on, on all of those important issues
0: giving a lead is one thing but taking action is another uh, bishop donald how would you feel
1: about the mix well, I think Pope Benedict was very clear in that document of his Deus Caritas Est on, on social justice and, and so on, and love, um, about seven or eight years ago. He said, it is not the role of the church to be involved in politics. The service that people of faith give to politics is to help society, those who make decisions in society, to, to purify reason so that the decisions that are taken by the politicians um, will be just, that the outcomes will be just. In other words, I think I see churches, and I know to, there are a amount of working together in the north uh, in the absence of an opposition in the assembly for the churches to speak where possible Together, um, as a critical friend to, to 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 politicians, I think we're there to help society or elected politicians get just solutions to complex and difficult problems. So uh, the Pope said in Germany, but Benedict said in Germany eighteen months ago, being freed from connections with power is a liberation for church, not a loss. And I, I feel sort of energised by both of those, having come from a community in Northern Ireland, which was always a minority. Only about a third of the population of our diocese would, would claim any allegiance to the Catholic Church. We didn't have much access to power when I was growing up. And I think being freed from that is, is actually a positive, uh, a positive uh, advantage and enables you to speak uh, the truth with love in order to enable our politicians to reach good conclusions that are good for everyone in society. So
0: do you think Cardinal O'Malley was wrong then?
1: Well, I think what Cardinal O'Malley wanted to avoid... Uh, and I think American commentators put that quite clear, was the T-shirt coming back and showing off a photograph of himself. Stanley with the Cardinal uh, in the context of the fraught situation here. So I think that he was very con- aware of internal politics in Ireland and didn't wish to be uh, one who would complicate the issue for, for, for the Irish Catholic Church. I think we have to be here, whether it's in the context of, of, of the, the abortion amendment or whether it's in any other area, to, to, to serve our political people by asking the right questions. Someone said it's always better to be unhappy with the right questions than happy with the wrong answers. I think our job in society is to serve by asking the right questions.
0: What's the relationship between church and politics in Swaziland?
3: Right now we're going to elections. Some priests and pastors are saying it's a no-go zone for for the, the, the men of the cloth uh, to be involved in politics. Well, in my own experience, I have found that you know, when you get into politics and you maybe you become a member of parliament and the other bodies that um, are directly involved in politics, as a person of God, you find that your position is compromised. Just like my, my fellow bishops have said here, you know, you, 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 you start also, you know, m- walking in the mud And it becomes very difficult then to walk out and um, try and give uh, spiritual directions to your colleagues. So I also personally believe that um, we are all part of politics. There is no way we can ever run away from it. It affects us, but at the same time, we should be the eyes of God to be able to give spiritual direction to our brothers and sisters in the way that God wants to lead his people. I mean, I believe that uh, leaders are chosen by God. And therefore, whoever they lead, they should lead them in a godly way. Because eventually, you know, when Christ comes for his church, he wants to find us ready. But then if we go in there, some of the decisions that are taken, they are not really pro-Christ in my view. So as a people of God, we should be able to give that advice when it is uh, uh, time to do so. But when we go in, and I've seen uh, pastors who have been, um, some of them, appointed into political positions, their churches being closed and uh, being houses for um, spiders and cobwebs. And then when they finish their term of office, they come to reopen the doors and they find that. You know, um things are no more the same. So um it, it takes away uh, precious time to work for God, uh from from you as a, a person of God to be involved. I mean directly.
4: I think there were two lovely phrases there used, one by Donald about speaking the truth in love and I think that must always we must always try to do that, uh speaker. The truth in love and the phrase that you were uh, Lena, uh, used to be the eyes of God and the eyes of Christ uh, that we have to do that do it in a humble way uh, we don't always possess uh, you know the truth not always and we have to do it in a humble way to try and discern uh, what might be if you like to try and look and see you know where what is christ telling us uh, in this situation Uh, i think that uh, inevitably church has to be concerned with issues of justice and so on uh, and therefore you know in some ways it's automatically involved in politics but uh, at the same time i think we have to be careful of any sort of direct involvement i think Uh, i think that uh, it's up to us to preach the truth as we see it as we discern it uh, but um, you know the the uh, ultimately in society the uh, elected politicians are the decision makers uh, and uh, I think we need to be uh, careful that we, we we speak the truth in love uh, we need to be careful about uh, you know any sort of threats or that sort of thing um, Because it is, uh, some of these areas are very difficult. uh, And, uh, uh, you know, while we try to discern uh, what is right and have to be concerned with issues of justice and with issues of life and so on, uh, I think we're automatically concerned uh, with those. uh, But, kind of, direct involvement or uh, taking, uh, you know, one political party against another. That sort of thing I think is dangerous and I think it's not, it's not our task.
0: Another topic that was exercising the minds of our listeners was the question of good versus evil and how can a loving God permit so much evil in the world today? Who'd like to address that? I think
1: <laughs> Don't the, the very beginning of the Bible, in those first three chapters of the book of Genesis, is a wonderful attempt... To to balance that reality. It begins with the assertion in Genesis 1 that we are all made in the image and likeness of God. But by Genesis 3, there's a recognition that the ability to choose um, means that we can choose bad or choose good. That the choice is there. We are gifted both with, with, with the dignity of being made in the image of God and free will. We certainly don't need to look, to look beyond the news in any radio or television station just to see the appalling amount of evil that is out there. Because people um, make bad choices, whether it's in wars or neglect of children or abusive people. It, it, it just the news can be depressing at times because there's so much badness going on out there. I think the um, job of church is to proclaim two things. One. The fact that God's dream for the healing of the world is revealed in Jesus. That dream has never gone away, even when we make a mess of things. And the possibility of forgiveness and a new start. No matter what the past may have been, that doesn't mean people don't have a future. And so many are frightened about the future or feel, I certainly know in the north, prisoners of the past because of of trauma or bereavement or pain or abuse or whatever. And I think our task is to proclaim God's dream for how the world could be through the grace of Jesus and the possibility of forgiveness and healing. Forgiveness of others and forgiveness of ourselves, being freed from the shackles of the past and being able to envision a new future. Uh, And the church, in that sense, as Lumen Gentium, that document again referred to, to be the sacrament of unity between people and unity between people and God. Um, So I think we, we very much have that realistic optimism. That, have, that God is a dream for us, but there's a reality of sin, and we work in that imperfect world to proclaim the possibility of, of new life, of of hope, of healing.
2: I, I think, Patrick. I think um, religion is all about uh, about faith. Christianity is uh, uh, built on on faith. Uh, I think of of um, the the story on the Emmaus Road where. Jesus walked by the disciples, and uh, they didn't recognise him at first. And they did recognise him eventually in the breaking of the bread. And they had a choice then to, to to follow or not to follow. And and in all the stories of that we read about uh, in 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 the gospels, that there is the element of choice that that people could 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 take it or leave it, as it were. And 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 so it is for all of us we we can we can choose to follow or we can choose not to and that for me is what 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 religion is all about it's 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 at the heart of the gospel is 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 choice uh, and it's based on faith whether we whether we believe and choose to follow or not and w- without that element of choice, um, it, it wouldn't, it, faith would not be necessary. And to me, it would, it would just uh, negate all that we're about a, as Christ's followers. We choose to follow. The, we choose to walk the way of, of the cross. Um, and, and it's as simple as that.
3: Elena? Well, as my brothers are talking here, I'm just reminded that, you know, the devil was not created a devil. He was a a good angel in heaven, and he had all the opportunities in heaven. But the challenge was his own brain and his pride. And that's what brought him, you know, um, to fall from favor and thrown down on earth to us. So it's still the same thing today you know the gospel is good news to all of us and um, and and god through his son jesus christ has never changed from what he was at the beginning in the garden of eden as my brother has already alluded so it's a question of choice god god doesn't allow i mean evil happens because we choose that we are going to use our heads uh, for the wrong things and the wrong reasons. And of course because there is that power of choice. Jesus himself himself says let the weeds and the good uh, wheat grow together until the last time. So that's what is happening now. So it's up to us to choose the good life because the good news is there for us. Bishop, Uly, what's your concept of the devil?
4: my concept of the devil uh, that's a difficult question i would say that my concept of the devil is in some way a power that in some way draws people towards evil uh you know i find it very difficult to uh, say exactly what the devil means but i'm certainly conscious of the fact that there is Something there, maybe a dark side within all of us, that in some way draws towards evil. Uh, And yet at the same time, my own experience in life, I certainly have seen evil, uh, evil deeds. I've never met an evil person, uh, because no matter what, evil deeds have been done. You always find if you sit down with somebody and talk to them and listen to their story, uh, in fact, what you find all the time is, is a great depth of goodness within the person, but for some reason or for some perhaps bad experiences in childhood or something like that that they uh, wind up maybe doing something which is evil. Uh, but the whole issue of evil, of course, good and evil is is as uh, is old as, 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 as mankind. You know, and there's no doubt about it. And I think all of us at times would ask, you know, where is God in the midst of wars and tragedies, in the midst of in the midst of pain and suffering that you know that so many families experience, and so on. Uh, You know, and uh, there is no simple answer to that. Uh, The only thing that I would say to myself is that if there were no God, well, then even even these things would be more meaningless and life would be, to me anyway, would have no meaning at all. And somehow belief in God, I think, helps me in some way to try to fight against injustice and tragedy and suffering and pain. Uh, But there's no doubt it is a very profound question which has occupied the the, the minds of people from the very beginning. And there are no simple answers. Uh, at least i haven't discovered the simple answer anyway <laughs> suffering is an is an interesting
2: issue really and and how one responds to suffering and and uh, i'm sure we would all agree that we've seen people deal with suffering in the most wonderful ways where they have used it as as the the very worst of situations as a positive and 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 made that choice again we're back to choices they've made the choice to to deal with it in a positive way and something that you know may seem like a big black cloud has been turned around and it doesn't necessarily mean that they they don't go on suffering but they've been able to use it and in in so doing become an example to others
1: I know you find the phrase, particularly in management theory, people like Peter Senga talked about it, spiritual intelligence. It doesn't mean religiosity, it doesn't even mean religious faith, Mm -hmm. but it means what Patrick was saying, that ability to tell about your past in a way that creates a foundation for your feet to build a future. Mm -hmm. In other words, to be able to tell a story about not being a victim but of having suffered something and have, having grown through it or having, having learned through it. And the scriptures are full of so many of those stories, the story of the coming through the, the exodus in the desert and of Jesus and, and the crucifixion and all of those there. Um, spiritual intelligence means taking the rubble of the past and making it a foundation rather than a source of rocks to throw at people. To take the the, the rubbish of the past and make it into a a fertilizer for the future rather than something stinking in the corner. So it's not a question of whether suffering is there, but how we are able to make sense of suffering. And I think the Scriptures, the whole Christian message, is very much about making sense of life, even when it is
3: difficult. Final word to you, Alina? The final word is from me is that there is hope. It's not all gloom. There is hope in our Lord Jesus Christ because he triumphed over evil. Even though, you know, um, most of the times we tend to talk about the dark side of life more than we do about the bright side of things. But still, even amongst all the evil that we see in the world, there is hope for us. And that's why we are here today to bring that hope to the people of God. Let's not despair.
0: And they're all nodding their heads here around the studio. Alina, thank you for that. Well, sadly, the clock has beaten us, so we'll have to leave matters there. We had several other questions about education, about interdenominational relations, about all kinds of other things. But thank you so much to the four of you for coming and taking our questions today. Bishops Alina Wamukoya of Swaziland Patrick Rook of Toon, Kalala and O'Connery Donald McKeown Auxiliary of Down and Connor and Bishop Emeritus Willie Walsh of Killaloo A special thanks as I say to listeners who submitted questions and who have been with us all season this is our final programme of this season we also want to thank our researchers and reporters Rona Tarrant and Claire McCormack and book researcher Sean Fitzpatrick for their contribution to this season of The God Slot we hope that you and they will make a weekly date with us when we return sometime in September. The championship, Bishop Willie is taking over next week in this slot. Indeed, but we're near the
4: height of the championship, let's stand. steal
0: a march on them. Will Claire do it this year? Do you think?
4: I think that we need a, a couple of more years. Uh, I think that uh, I'd be hoping that we'll get over the over Waterford on Sunday, and I suppose that's the the, the first focus. Uh, they're a very young team, but a very skilled team. Uh, and I would be very hopeful that within a couple of years that we'll get there to the top again, we'll climb the mountain again.
0: Bishop Alina hasn't a clue what we're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> <laughs> but can we just say Banatheon on or of Galair, the blessings of the summer on, on you all. Let's hope for a good one and a good championship and we'll see you all in September.